being a soul winner for Jesus. And one of the ways I got this idea for uh, this class was while we were on a mission trip over in Fiji here just recently. And uh, it was an excellent trip. Uh, I tried to take a mission trip. I have been able to take a mission trip every year the last three years. Uh, the first to Mexico, the second uh, to the Marshall Islands. I went to Montreal, the Marshall Islands, and then uh, this past year I went to Fiji. And what's interesting was that how, really just how e easy it was to get a Bible study, especially uh, Montreal was pretty easy. Uh, we had several when we were there, but in, in Fiji, uh, I think we could have had even more Bible studies. The problem we ran into is that we didn't have enough people and enough time in the day to work it out. Uh, because the Bible study, you know, it didn't last 30 minutes. It would last several hours sometimes. And uh, they'd want you to come back the next day, uh, of course, which, which you want. Uh, but when you did that every day and some, some took several hours, then you could only get in a couple Bible studies a day. Uh, but after coming back and I was thinking about what class I could do for OABS, uh, this came to my mind, one really dealing with personal evangelism and the idea of a soul winner for Jesus, because that's what we uh, want to be, is a soul winner for Christ. And so that's why I came up with this class. And the first thing we'll look at, uh, first class this evening, is going to be looking at the need for personal evangelism, uh, really breaking down um, the Great Commission, and then looking at also uh, what, looking at the idea of, of approaching the lost, who is the lost, and uh, how do we approach them? Uh, not really so much how we approach them. It's not what we're looking at this evening, uh, but we're looking at uh, really uh, who are the lost and what does it mean to seek the lost. And so we'll be looking at the need for personal evangelism, who are the lost, and what does it mean to seek the lost. And then uh, next week, um, oh, I closed out the syllabus. We'll be looking at uh, what is personal evangelism and who should participate. And so uh, a lot of these classes, like you see August 11th, what is personal evangelism and who should participate, that's next week. And then requirements for successful evangelism, uh, making the approach and setting up the study, teaching methods, and then we have two classes uh, dedicated for how to conduct the Bible study on September 8th and then also September 15th. I had the break on the 22nd. On the 29th, we have just some, some suggestions uh, for a one-on-one -on -one Bible study. So we have really three classes, maybe even four classes. If you look at August 25th, September 1st, September 8th, September 15th, and September 29th. So I guess you have there one, two, three, four, five classes uh, really dedicated to the actual Bible study itself, uh, which I think is important. We talk a lot about sometimes, you know, why we want to do personal evangelism, but sometimes I think we don't talk enough about how we, how we actually do it, uh, the actual uh, practical application of it. And so we really have five classes that deal with that. Making the approach and setting up the study is one class. Teaching methods is another. Uh, conducting the study, uh, we have two classes on that. And then another one just for suggestions for one-on-one -on -one study. And then we have uh, October 6th, Motivation for Personal Evangelism and what we can do to help the church grow in our area. Uh, October 13th, Apathy in Evangelism, What Happens When We Teach the Lost. 
and that'll be our last class. So uh, I think it'll be a very good class. I think it's a very needed class uh, because I think sometimes we don't talk enough about some practical applications of these things. Uh, I've heard a lot of classes on the Great Commission, but I haven't heard a whole lot about what's one of the better ways we could do it. And uh, Chuck says here, it's sad how many think this is just a minister's job and not theirs. Uh, you know, that's exactly right. And uh, sometimes it's not just the ministers that come underneath that pressure. It's also elders, it uh, seems. Uh, some people think it's just the, the leaders in general. Uh, the preacher himself being a leader, some think it is his job and his alone. Uh, but the Great Commission is for everyone. And we're going to be talking more about that this evening. So we're going to look at the need for personal evangelism. And we begin really by looking at, and what we, a lot of what we'll be talking about this evening will be coming from the book by Roger Campbell, uh, Evangelistic Efforts, taking the, lo- taking the Gospel to the Lost Far and Near. And we begin by looking at the need for personal evangelism. And we begin by looking at some different verses relating to the Great Commission. And we look at Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. The Bible says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given to me in heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. And so we... We find this, we know, of course, this is what we call many times the Great Commission. Uh, well, let's also look at Mark 16, verses 15 and 16. And all these are in the King James here. It says, And he said to them, Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And then we also see in Luke 24, verses 46 and 47, for the Bible says, And said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And so we find these three verses, and, and I'm always tempted, okay, right now, to really go and break this down, but we're going to be doing it. We're going to be looking at, if I'm not mistaken, seven aspects of the Great Commission. And so... We think about this great commission as we see it here in, in, in Matthew twenty eight, eighteen through twenty, and we see it in Mark sixteen, fifteen and sixteen, and again then again in Luke twenty four, forty six through forty seven. And I find it interesting what Christ says in Luke twenty four, where he says there in verse forty six, and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Behooved Christ. So I think about this, the idea that it is part of Christ's will that these things take place, that he suffer and die and rise a third day. In order that, that, in order that uh, when we go and preach and teach the gospel, we can preach and teach that Christ died for our sins and rose again, showing his power over death. And so even Christ's life gives us the ability to, to proclaim the gospel message, to proclaim the Great Commission. Because part of that gospel message is the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. 
So we'll begin by looking at how the Great Commission is a command that, it, that involves worldwide action, going to all people of all nations. It is a permanent commission being enforced until Jesus comes again. You think about that idea of how it's a command that involves worldwide action, going to all people of all nations. Uh, I'm relatively, I would consider myself new to mission work. I've gone on three trips, but I still consider myself new. I think about the number of people who have been doing it for years and the number of places they've been and the, and the knowledge they have gained. But going out into all the world, we have to be, we do that for Christ. We want to make sure that we are doing it in a godly way. That, we, that is, that when we go out to the world uh, teaching and preaching and doing it for, going out to the world really for evangelism, that we're doing it in a biblical way, in a way that's pleasing in God. And that's really what we're looking at as we look at this great commission. We see it as a permanent commission being enforced until Jesus comes again. You know, some will say the Great Commission was only to the disciples there that day, uh, but that is not correct. It is for everyone. When Christ says, I'll be with you, and lo, I'm with you even to the end of the age, as we back up there to uh, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, he says there in verse 20, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Uh, well, the disciples would die at some point physically, but if, he's, if God's going to be, if Christ is going to be with us in the end of the world, obviously that commission he's, he's giving is going to go into everyone. And you think about the disciples, what were they to teach and to preach? Everything which he had commanded them. So the Great Commission itself tells us it applies more than just to the disciples. He says in verse 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy, Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And part of that teaching that they are to observe, that they are to teach, that, that others may follow and follow, is a great commission. They are to teach others that the great commission applies to them as well. It's not, it was not just for the disciples or for the apostles there in Matthew 28. So we think about the need for personal evangelism. We come to our first question, what does a great commission involve? Well, the great commission is based upon the authority of Christ. And I have there two points. A Great Commission points to the need to go, but the first thing we're looking at this evening is it's based upon the authority of Christ. If you think about what Christ said there in Matthew chapter 28, he told his apostles to go teach all nations, and our Lord, Lord first told them that he possesses all power or authority in heaven and in earth, Matthew 28, verse 18. Thus, the Great Commission has the authority of Jesus behind it. Repentance and remission of sins are to be preached in Christ's name, Luke 24:47, meaning by his authority, as we see in Colossians 3 and verse 17. So the Great Commission what involves the authority of Jesus. We have the authority of Christ to go out and to teach and to preach. We're going to look at it here in a few moments what it is that we are to go out and to teach and to preach. Well, the Great Commission also points to the need to go. Uh, the Master did not instruct us to stay put, to wait on others to, to come to our meeting place, or simply plan to go. Jesus' charge is to go. You think about this in, in Numbers chapter 32 and verse 6. The Bible says, it said, And Moses said to the children, children of Gad and the children of Reuben, Shall your brethren go to war, and, ye, ye, and shall ye sit here? 
And so the idea is that are you going to let everyone else go out and go to war, that is, to reach out for, for us today? You say, we're going to let everyone else go out and do it when we just sit here and do nothing? Well, we know that we are not to try to hide away or shrink back from our obligations. Christians are obligated to, to go out and to preach, to teach the gospel, to try to reach out to others. Well, it's amazing how hard it is to get people to be involved in it today. You know, evangelism is not easy. It's not uh, something that we get good at overnight or that we perfect our way, our method of how we want to do it. But it is something that needs to be done. So it is something we have to work at because as a Christian, it is part of the Christian life. Moses, we see in Numbers 32 and verse 6, was reminding them of their obligation to go and to do their part. And, you, and we think about this, shall you and I sit on the sidelines and observe while our brethren try to teach the lost and thereby go to war against the, really what we might think of as the kingdom of Satan? Well, let's look at our third point under what does a Great Commission involve. It means to go to every person of every nation. Teaching all nations, we see in Matthew 28 and verse 19, does not mean to teach those from every country of the world. It does include that, but it goes, but it goes beyond such, uh, such an effort. The word nation is from the Greek word ethnos, E-T-H-N-O-S, from which we get our English word ethnic. Uh, the Christ not only wants us to teach or make disciples of those from every country, he wants us to teach those of every ethnic group of every country. That is every one, not just every nation, but every group, every, as we have here, every ethnic group. Literally, every person of every nation is to be reached to the very best of our ability. And we can start by teaching those in our area where we, where we live, then spread our efforts to other places in order to get the gospel to every person in the world. This is what our Lord wants from us, and we must not let him down. It involves teaching or preaching, not just going and not, ju and not just going to many places and not just talking to many people in many places. When we find lost people, regardless of whether they are few or many in number, and regardless of where we encounter them, the Master wants us to teach them. I'm reminded when we were over in Fiji here uh, last part of June, first part of July, of how when we were out passing out tracts and various things, how easy it was to talk with people about the gospel. I don't mean that it was easy for us to speak to them. I mean they were very, uh, very uh, accepted, or they were very accepting, I should say, of, being, of hearing the Bible. Uh, we were out passing out tracts on one occasion, and this young lady asked us to talk to her sister because her sister was getting coming into the, the club scene and partying and things. So she asked if we would come back and talk with her and pray with her. Well, we came back the next day. Well, her sister was gone. She decided to go do something else. Uh, but we were able to study, however, with her, with her mother. And with her, her mother that day, the next day we came back, we stayed with her mother and her father. And so we had a great opportunity to teach them the gospel. Now, I remember the Friday that we were leaving, that Friday morning, we had a Bible study with them, and we were already talking about baptism. And so I was kind of sad that we had to leave because I thought if we would stay a little bit longer, we could have been able to teach them more, and maybe they would obey the gospel. 
But those good brethren I know will continue to do that study after we had left. So the Great Commission involves teaching and preaching, or teaching or preaching. We, also, we see next that the Great Commission involves a, a specific message to teach or to preach the gospel. We think about this. Jesus identified the specific message to teach or preach in Mark 16 and verse 15. That, that is, we are to preach the gospel. If you look at Mark chapter 16 and verse 15, he says, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, the gospel message is the death, burial, not just the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, but as we saw there in Matthew, it would include all those things which, which he has commanded the apostles, which were passed down to us through the written word. And so we are to teach them about Christ, about sin, about the necessity to have your sins washed away, about obedience, about the one church, about true worship, and on and on it goes. And in all those things, we can teach them what the Bible says, and they can see that the Bible records exactly what Christ says and what we are to do concerning all those things. And so by doing that, we are preaching the gospel message. We also see next, well, let's think about this first before I get ahead of myself. We are free to choose a method of going. We can go by plane or by, tr or by train or by boat. Uh, we are free of, uh, to use any scriptural method of teaching. Notice I said scriptural method of teaching. But the God has already chosen the message. God says that the gospel of Christ is his power unto salvation. And in that gospel reveals his plan to make men righteous, Romans 1, verses 16 and 17. It is also the unique means that God uses to call men unto, unto him for salvation. If you will, look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 14. And here the Bible says, Whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are called by the gospel. And what's sad today is we find so many who believe they are called by, uh, by God in a miraculous sense. That maybe they, they think they have this emotional experience. Why? And while we're obeying the gospel, it can be a very emotional experience, realizing that you are outside the body of Christ, and you have sin in your life, you need to correct. It can be very emotional. But our emotions is not what dictates, you know, salvation. What dictates salvation, if we have obeyed the gospel, as we see in, in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 15, that we are called by the gospel, and that we obey that gospel. <coughs> and next we see... It includes the ideas, the, the, the Great Commission includes the idea of souls being saved. It includes the idea of souls being saved. That is the very purpose of going forth to teach the gospel. That people can be saved from sin. The person that hears the gospel then responds by, by believing it and obeying it, by being baptized, shall be saved. As we see in Mark, as Christ says there in Mark 16, verses 15 and 16. Sin separates every sinner from the Lord, as we see in Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2. And so only the blood of Jesus can wash away their sins. It is a horrible thought 
of unforgiven people heading to eternal perdition and that and how that ought to motivate us to teach them the only message that can save their souls we want men to be saved we even want we should want even our worst enemy the person who caused this great grief we should want them also to be saved and so what does the great commission involve well part of it involves the idea of souls being saved our seventh point under what does the great commission involve well includes his promise to be with with his followers you'll see in matthew 28 and verse 20 Christ says, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world, or even to the end of the age. <clears throat> After the death of Moses, Jehovah encouraged Joshua, uh, Moses' replacement as Israel's leader, with these words in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 9. Let's go, we'll go over to that. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 9. And here the Bible says, Have have I not commanded thee, be strong and of good courage, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee, wheresoever thou goest. So the Lord is going to be with the faithful followers of him. So as we go out and teach and preach the word of God, as we present the gospel message to those who accept it, to those who reject it, we know the Lord is going to be with us regardless of those who may reject it. But those who do accept it, those who do obey, they also have the ability to, by through their obedience, to have Christ be with them as well, as we see in Matthew 28 and verse 20. And lastly, concerning what does a great commission involve, it is a never-ending obligation. Let's think about this, if you would. Every generation of Christians has the same obligation of teaching the gospel to all the lost people in the world. When God sent Isaiah to preach the gospel, to preach the household of Israel, Isaiah wondered, in, as we look at Isaiah 6, verse, uh, Isaiah 6, verses 10 and 11, he says, Lord, how long? Here, and notice God's answer. Until the cities be wasted without inhabitant, and the houses without man, and the land be utterly destroyed. What was Jehovah telling the prophet? What was he telling Isaiah? Well, he, he, wanted, he wanted Isaiah to keep on preaching for as long as there were still people alive that could hear his message. Is that not Jesus' answer to the question, how long should we plan, plan to keep on preaching the gospel? Until the end of the world. Is a, until we, either until we die or until Christ comes back. You think about the need for personal evangelism, we look at the idea of seeking the lost. When we think about seeking the lost, we have to think about several things. First, though, let's consider some verses First, coming from 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. And here the Bible says, In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that, that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. If you think about the lost, well, who are the lost? Where are those we see in verse 8 who do not know God and those who, who have not obeyed the gospel? And why do we want to reach out to them? Why do we want to seek the lost? Because you find in verse 9, those individuals who do not know God and have not obeyed the gospel, the Bible says in verse 9, they shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. We want them to avoid that. 
and they can avoid being punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power by obeying the gospel message. So we want to reach out to them so that they do not have to be separated from God for all eternity. In Luke 19 and verse 10, the Bible says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. You notice here that Christ cared about the souls of lost people. He really cared about the souls of people. He did not just talk about caring. He really cared. He showed his care by taking action. In our worship assemblies, we often sing about, sing about teaching or caring the gospel to lost people. If you think about the song, Seeking the Lost, there's a phrase found in the second verse that says this, Seeking the lost and pointing to Jesus, souls that are weak and hearts that are sore, lending them forth, leading them forth in ways of salvation, showing the path, showing the path to life evermore. So we want to reach out to the lost. We want to seek the lost. We want to be just like Christ. We want to go and look for those who are not who have not obeyed the gospel. And why? Like we just saw in Second Thessalonians verse nine. So they, so they will not be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Well, who are the lost? Well, we mentioned that just a moment ago, but we also find in Romans 3, verse 24, the Bible says, being justified freely by his grace for the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Well, who are the lost? Or it is those who, are not, who have not obeyed the gospel. If we are going to be busy seeking, seeking them, we need to be able to identify the lost. Anyone that has ever sinned but is not now in a saved relationship with the Lord is lost. And since redemption, since redemption is in Jesus, Romans 3, verse 24, then those outside of him are lost. Those that obey the gospel but have, those that have obeyed the gospel but have since fallen away are lost. They are spiritually dead. They are. They need to be turned back to the Lord. James five verses nineteen and twenty says, "Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth is sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death, and shall hide a multitude of sins." So, who are the lost? Those who have not obeyed the gospel, and those who have gone back into the world. And uh, Chuck says here, I'm not sure they realize they are lost. You know, some, uh, you know, that's a good point. There are many who don't realize they're lost. Maybe, uh, they, don't, maybe they don't think they're in sin. Maybe some, uh, because of the denominational confusion, uh, have obeyed the denominational formula for salvation, but they have not obeyed the, the Bible formula for salvation. And so they, maybe they do not realize they are lost. Or maybe those who have erred from the faith, do not realize they are lost. You know, sometimes people forget that when you stop being faithful to God, that you're you going no longer to be able to have eternal life. When you, when obedience stops, so does salvation, so does forgiveness, so does grace, until we repent and return back to God. What does it mean to seek the lost? Well, Luke 19, verse 10, Christ tells us his purpose was to come and seek and save that which was lost. We think about all the examples of those who are seeking, seeking things and seeking people. A merchant was seeking, God, seeking goodly pearls in Matthew 13, 45. 
Joseph and Mary were seeking for Jesus in Jerusalem in Luke 2.45. A woman that loses a coin seeks for it until she finds it, Luke 15.8. The devil goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom, seeking whom he may devour, 1 Peter 5, verse 8. If you think about this, seeking is not the same as waiting on folks to approach us with questions. There are some people that are searching for the truth, and we are thankful for that, and that often causes them to ask us sincere questions. And those are great opportunities. But if our strategy to reach the lost is to just have everyone sit around and wait on lost people to come to us, then we need to, to get ourselves a new strategy. You know, sometimes we, we fall into the trap of thinking, well, we're going we're gonna, to you know, advertise and everybody's just going to come to us. And we don't have to actually verbally ask anyone. Well, that's not true. We should be one who is, you know, Christians in my mind should be those who are, tr who are always talking about the church. And every chance we have, we invite people to various events. And we should not be ashamed of it. Uh, some people may not like it, but, you know, if we invite someone or talk with someone about the Bible and love uh, and they still don't like it, we have to realize that many times it's not, it's not us they don't like. It's the message that we are bringing. <clears throat> the sit-and-wait strategy is doomed to failure. So we must be one of those who are going out seeking and saving, seeking and trying to save those which are lost using the gospel message. Well, that's going to do it for our class this evening. I thank you for being with us. And for those of you who are new to class, the just a little advertisement here for the Uligal congregation. Uh, well, before I get to that, I forget that's the next slide. Uh, next week is class number two looking at what is personal evangelism and, and who should participate in it.